0: Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.
1: being the best in the world and being the best for the world. I love that line. And I wonder how much that would change the way we go about our Christmas season or our life in general. It's not about being the best in the world, but for the world. We have been going through letters from God, this series in the book of Revelation where God wrote letters to his church about the things he asked and expected of them, and even the promises he was giving to them. And in five of these seven letters, he's pretty direct, you are failing miserably in this regard. Today in this letter, he he doesn't say anything super direct. Uh, Today in the letter, he's he's much more subtle. It's one of the two churches that he doesn't directly call out for failing. But he does give them a challenge to live differently. Uh, This is what he says in Revelation chapter 3, if you'd like to follow along. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When you first read that, there's no place where he calls them out and says, you're dropping the ball. This letter stands out from the others for that reason. But if you go back and read again, why would he say to the one who conquers, if there's not a battle being had, if there's not a war that's raging, a need within them to maybe be or live different, what does this mean? Well, if you remember the very second church that we looked at, the church in Smyrna, back in chapter two, uh, the church wasn't called out directly for anything wrong. But God says to them, Here's what I have for you, fear not. He says in chapter 2, verse 10, he says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. See, even though they're not called out in any way specifically, God says to them, look, there is something for you to do different. Stop fearing. We talked about the weight of anxiety and the weight of worry and the fear of what others may do or think or say and how that can hinder us from all that God has in store for us. I shared with you my personal uh, kind of mantra, what I say to myself all the time, God is God, I am not, it'll be okay. And I learned this week that whatever I say here is actually scary because my son surprisingly is listening, right? Right? My son is five, and uh, he sits right here in the front row. He's down on the floor coloring at the moment. That's his normal position. So usually I assume he's not actually listening. But this week he decided to write me a card. That's his favorite thing to do. If you spend any time around him, he will make you a card in the future, a picture of some kind with whatever words he currently knows or or somebody's willing to spell out for him. So he wrote a card for me this week that I forgot at home today, but it's been in my pocket all week long. And I said, I love you you are loved, you are good. I thought, where did he get that? That's certainly not something I talk about at home, right? Like, I'm loved, I know. Now, usually I say I love him, and then I also get mad at him when he doesn't go to bed or he's not listening or a whole host of things. And sometimes I wonder, am I doing it right? Am I missing the ball? Have I really just blown it? And then he hears things that I say on Sunday morning, like, you are loved, and it's okay. And he gives them back to me. See, you and I, we have this this innate ability, this problem this church has today, where sometimes the things right in front of us seem really far away. See, this is what God says to the church. What Jesus says, the one who holds the key of David. uh, Something from Isaiah referring to the future king who will reign over all the people of God. The, The one who is in charge of all things, who opens what no one can shut and shuts what no one can open. He says this about the people. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Initially upon reading this, you might say, well, how is that in any way a critique? What in the world does that mean that he's saying, look, there's something else for you. See, Jesus is speaking to them and he says, I know your works. I know what you've done. I know how you've lived. Behold, I'm setting before you an open door one that no one can shut. This language is used elsewhere in scripture as well. In fact, Paul, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he writes to them at the end, and he says, I really want to come visit you, but first I'm going to remain in Ephesus. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. There are many adversaries. Throughout the New Testament, they use this language of a wide door being opened to refer to the opportunity to share the gospel with others, to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. He says, look, there's an opportunity. I want to come and visit you, but first there's this door I have to walk through, this opportunity set before me. And I know there's a lot of enemies, people who who don't like what I have to say or what I'm about to do, but I can't Leave this opportunity behind. Jesus is speaking to this church, and while he knows their works and he celebrates them, he he says to them, Behold, I'm opening a door for you, and yet you have little power. I'm opening a door, and yet you don't seem to be walking through it. I'm making an opportunity for you that you don't seem to be taking advantage of. Have you ever done that? God gives you opportunities and you just walk right past them? See, with my son, there are plenty of times where I don't think I'm taking the opportunity to be the kind of dad that I want to be. In fact, I was sitting around a fire yesterday with my neighbors. We're sitting there enjoying the fire and having some s'mores. And we got to talking because my son was very tired. And I don't know if your kids are like my kids, but when they're tired, their ability to think goes away entirely. And not only does their ability to think go away, their ability to be in any way, shape, or form, like with other people, disappears entirely. So you just mention something that he doesn't like, and immediately it's a meltdown. And so time after time, I had to send him into the house to go sit down and calm down so that we could finally work through whatever he was going through. And the third time he went into the house, as he was opening the door, he's like, "Oh, I have to do this a third time? Yes, you do. And my neighbor said, I don't know how you can be so calm. Like, why aren't you mad at him? I said, well, you just don't see me when I'm mad. And then we had this long conversation about them confessing how sometimes when they yell at their kids, they're afraid we can hear them. And sometimes we're afraid they can hear us. And we're really thankful that we have, you know, a yard between us and don't share a wall. Because as a dad, I don't take every opportunity to be the kind of dad I want to be. In fact, there's a lot of times I really blow it. But even as a husband, there are plenty of times my wife makes it clear that there are things that would bless her. Like, hey, you've been gone a lot. Will you be home this week? And instead, I schedule my evenings without paying attention. And I'm away from the house at bedtime, and she's stuck putting the kids in bed by herself. Or the kids are unruly, and I confess, uh, the bathroom is a great safe space. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about but there are times when I need to use the restroom just because I want to get away from the kids. I don't take every opportunity to be who I could be for them or should be for them. So on weeks like this, where my son out of nowhere surprises me that somehow, in spite of all of my failures, he still gets it in some way. It's truly an incredible thing. Jesus is writing to this church. He says, I've opened a door for you but you have little power. You have very little power and ability to actually walk through that door and do what I'm asking of you. What does this mean? All throughout the New Testament, there's this promise that you and I are filled with power. And I don't mean like power to lift cars, though that would be Awesome. And I don't mean necessarily the power to heal the sick, though sometimes that happens. And I don't mean the power to know the future, because if I did, that'd be really scary, all right? But we have a power that is far beyond any of that. And all throughout the New Testament, the Christians, the people of God are called to live with this power God has given them for the sake of others, What is that power? Well, in Philippians, he talks a little bit about this power. Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing about how he used to be this really, really good person. Like how he had everything perfect. If there was a way to be the perfect person, he was it. But then he says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Paul says, look, I used to think I could do it all on my own. I thought I could get it all right. I could be perfect. I could be the kind of person everybody looked to and said, wow, I want to be just like that. But now what I've learned is I count it all as garbage. It's totally useless compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, the one who'd give me everything I can't do on my own. And he goes on and he says this in verse 10 Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look, I press on to this end, to this goal. Paul writes, look, I will give everything up, all of my ability to be who I think I can be. I will give it all up for this power of the resurrection, this power of knowing whose I am, that I am loved by God, this power of knowing that no matter what comes against me here and now, there will always be a life to come later. No matter what I experience in this time, it'll be okay. So look, this is our power as Christians. We can count it all as loss because of his love. Look, we can give everything up because of the promise of the resurrection. Now, some people think that Christianity is just about escaping this world, right? Like, we just do good things so that we can get out of here and go be with God later. Uh, spoiler alert. God doesn't care about your good works. Did you know that? Your good works mean nothing to God. God. Because God doesn't need them. Every good work comes from him. Every good thing is because of him. God doesn't need you to be a good person. In fact, the Bible is not about taking bad people and making them good. It's about taking dead people and bringing them back to life. And you and I are dead in our sin, but the power of the resurrection is a whole new life. A life that doesn't just start later, but starts today. And we get to live this life for other people today. And we don't have to be good so that God is pleased with us. We can just be good because our neighbors need it. Like we don't have to wake up in the morning and say, God, what do I need to do for you today? Nothing. But what if we woke up and said, God, what can I do for my neighbor today? There's everything. This church in Revelation, they're lacking this power. And God says, I have opened a door for you, but you're lacking in this power. This power to believe the life that I'm giving is worth living. This power to believe that everything means nothing without me. As we have said in the weeks prior, each one of these letters kind of builds upon themselves. It's painting of a picture of a church, the church, that's really just missing what it's all about. It's easy for us in this Christmas season to miss what it's all about, to get caught up in the things we need to do, to become all of these people we think we need to be for the parties we're going to, and to forget who we really are. As Jesus is writing to this church, he doesn't openly critique them in any way, but what he says is, I am opening a door. Walk through it. And far too often, you and I have been given opportunities to love and to share this power of the resurrection, this new life that he's given, not only the promise of what's to come, but our hope and our peace and our joy. Today, we're given opportunities to love our neighbor as he loves us. And we don't walk through them. And I know for myself, that sometimes it's this limited power, I ask myself, what can I really do to make a difference? Like, do they really need to know what I think right now or can I just sit silently? Maybe if I just love them enough with good works, I don't ever have to tell them about Jesus. If you and I believe Jesus is truly the only way to salvation and we sit silently, how are we ever loving somebody else even if we show them all kinds of good works. Jesus writes, look, here's what I have for you. I've opened a door, this opportunity to join me on my mission. See, God is not sitting passively in or far away, like in his, on his throne, just like, I'll just wait and eventually things will happen. All of this letter, all of this, this book of Revelation is God revealing that he is coming and he's coming soon. And that's a really good thing. In fact, he, here in this letter in verse 11, he says exactly that. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. There is this reality that we live in a time that is urgent. Now, I will never claim to know when he's coming. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in another thousand years. But all of scripture, especially the New Testament, is filled with this reality. He's coming soon. And what does that mean for you and for me? It means that it doesn't matter what we go through or who rejects us because of what we say about Jesus. Or it doesn't matter how people think about us. What matters is that he loves them and wants them to be loved. And so Jesus, he gives this promise for those who conquer. Here's this promise. In verse verse 9, the first promise is this. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus writes to this church and he says, I'm opening a door for you to join in the work that I'm doing. See, I'm not just passively sitting back and waiting. I'm actively pouring out my love and my power and my forgiveness to those who need it. And I want you to be a part of this. And yes, you will have enemies. But here's my promise. When you join me in the work that I'm doing, all of these enemies will bow down before you and know that I have loved you. Now, there's kind of a two-fold reality in which this happens. Sometimes our enemies bow down to know that we are loved when they come to see that they too are loved. Sometimes when they convert and say, this Jesus truly is who you say he is, they'll say, hey, you know what? I was wrong in what I was doing and how I was treating you. Sometimes they won't. And there's this reality that on that last day when he comes, every knee will bow before him. And when every knee bows before him, our enemies will know in that moment that we were loved all along. There's a second promise. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about the end, the final day, that day of judgment. And he says, there is an hour that is coming, a time that is coming when things will be hard and people will wish it wasn't so. The promise here is for those who seize the opportunity, who join God in sharing his love, who live with this power of the resurrection that says nothing else matters because of him. The promise is this that he will keep us from our sufferings. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to be without pain and that life is going to be easy. In fact, he says, uh, I know uh, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. He says, look, you have been patient through all of these trials, through all of this tribulation, through all of this pain you have endured. I will keep you from suffering. The promise is not that we will never suffer, but that he will always be with us in our suffering. That he will sustain us through whatever pain we may experience, through whatever hardship we may walk through. And he says, I have opened a door of opportunity. Join me. It'll be okay. I'll be with you. This will work. Behold, I'm coming soon. You and I have an opportunity before us. Especially this Christmas season, people are eager to know that they are loved. And sometimes when we think about Jesus coming soon, we think about this reality that he's coming to judge and it's this terrifying, scary thing. I don't really want him to come because that sounds really bad. But it's actually the exact opposite. When he comes, his love will be made known to the whole world. And those who already know his love will get to live in that love forever. And those who have rejected his love and say, that's not for me, we'll get to live without him forever. Not as a form of angry punishment, but willingly giving you the very thing you want. If you don't want to live in my love, I won't force you to be loved. Here you go. And you and I have an opportunity today, knowing that he's coming soon, to begin to love. To be free to simply share with every person we meet, not that his judgment is coming, but that his love has come. That Christmas is God in love coming for us. And when he comes back again, it's for us as well. You and I get to live looking for those who don't know his love. And we get to show them and share with our words how much he loves them. And this can be really scary. I'll admit it. There's plenty of times when I look at my job as a person, not even just as a pastor, to love my neighbor. And it's hard because my neighbors sometimes are kind of terrible. Not my actual neighbors. I like them a lot. But you know, the, the people around me. And, and it can be really hard to see the opportunity I have with my five-year-old who misbehaves to show him God's love even when I don't want to. And it can be really difficult to show that opportunity that God loves people when they believe something very different than I do, it can be really difficult to seize that opportunity and show them his love is worth it. But Jesus is writing and says, behold, I've opened a door. Just walk through it. Walk with power, the power of the new life that I have given, that everything is worth losing for the sake of me. Church, I believe that you and I have this great opportunity before us. There are people in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces who don't know that they are loved. And I think Jesus today is saying, I have opened a door, but you have very little power. And he's inviting us to believe that he is truly able to do what he said he will do. That he will forgive and love in spite of all of our sin that there's nothing too far gone and no one who's too far outside of his love, but instead, behold, he's coming soon. And because he's coming soon, we shouldn't wait until tomorrow to love our neighbor or until it's convenient or until we figure out how to get it right. But instead, like my son, seek every opportunity to love. Like these little words on this piece of paper, I love you, you are loved, you are good. How many people need to hear that in our world today? Not just from a five-year-old who's writing maybe something he grasps and maybe something he doesn't, but from you and I. You are loved. You are good. God doesn't look at your past and your failures and say you're not enough. He says you're everything because I've made you that way. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you are opening doors for us to love our neighbor with a smile, with a friendly wave, with a kind word, for us to share your love with those who don't know it and the things we do and the things we say. God, we thank you for all of your goodness, that you would not look at our failures and our timidness and our fear, God, where we're holding fast to your word, but, but failing to seize the opportunity. God, you would not hold that against us, but again, open today a door. Say, look, walk through this door of opportunity to join in what you are all about. God, we pray that you would fill us with love love for our neighbor and love from you. That we would be a people with this power of the resurrected life. God, this power that says nothing matters except for you. And would we begin to show that and demonstrate that to those around us? That even our enemies would bow and say, truly, you are loved. We thank you for your promises, your goodness, and your command that we're to join you in your work. Help us to do just that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. For anybody who's been here longer than one Sunday, let me tell you something and remind you what we're all about. Here at the Point, I don't care if these seats are full or empty on Sunday morning. We don't care if we get a bigger budget or bigger opportunities to do things. Every single thing we do at this church is about one thing, connecting the disconnected. Those people who don't know that they are loved, which sometimes means you and me, and sometimes means people who aren't yet Christian. Those who don't know that they are loved, we exist to connect them to Jesus. And that's all we do. But what does that mean in practice? Well, I got a couple of things that hopefully will encourage you. When we say we connect the disconnected, uh, that means we get to be in our community in such a way that those who are far from God see God through us. That, That means we get to show up early and work really hard to set up lights and live stream and sound things that don't really matter so that people like Elizabeth Miller, who lives in California, can join us from a distance or not only her, but uh, people like Stephen and, and Becca Brazier and their son who watched us and joined us from San Antonio, Texas for almost six months before deciding we're gonna move to Knoxville to be a part of that church community. What happened this year? When we say we connect the disconnected, it means we make ourselves available for people to come as they are. I know of several conversations, both that I have had and some of you have had in this last year alone, with people who are wrestling with their sexuality, saying, where do I fit in God's plan? And we've been the people who could be there to listen and to love and to encourage. I know that connecting the disconnected looks like being there in the hospital when you're sick and your mom is sick and when life is struggling. And these are the things we have been able to do this year. And we can't wait to do more of it. I share this because I believe wholeheartedly that one of the biggest obstacles to us being in our community outside of this place on Sunday morning is paying for our rent each month. And so we, at the end of every year, we take time to set aside rent-free, which is we take time to raise above and beyond our normal offering rent, that we can pay rent in advance or at least have it available in advance so that next year all of our time and all of our resources and everything that we have can be used to love our neighbors and build a better community connected to Jesus. If you are interested in joining us in this opportunity and partnering with us and helping connect the disconnected, uh, I've asked you the last couple weeks to make a commitment, either to commit to giving a year end gift or to commit to increasing next year's giving by $7 a week. See, if every one of us did one of those two things, we could set aside rent in advance, freeing up all of our time and energy just to connect more people with Jesus and with the power and the grace of his love. Now this QR code, if you want to use it, this will take you to the online commitment form, which looks kind of like this one that you received in person today. If you would like to join us, will you let us know by making a commitment? And if you're not yet ready for that, I invite you to join us every week anyway and experience all of God's love through us in the meantime. However you choose to give, whether online or in the popcorn buckets, know this. We don't give to get his love, but because we already have it. So when we say come as you are, that means it's okay for us to not be okay and to make mistakes. <laughs> and we loaded the wrong video in there for you. So we had announcements about other things, and both of us were looking going, "Oops." <laughs> So today, not next week, today, there's a party for our Kids Point coordinator, Liz, who is graduating and moving. So you should join us at the Empty Cup for this great party. We'll have food and karaoke because she asked for it. And uh, so there's no beer, which means you'll be really embarrassed. It'll be great. Um, also, what we intended to show and messed up, here was this. Uh, Christmas is coming, right? So we celebrate as a church with a Christmas Eve service at 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We'll be here in the theater. And what's really fun is the theater still shows movies during that time. So like all the popcorn you can smell when you walk out here some Sunday mornings. And all the beverages they serve will be available for purchase before you come in for Christmas Eve, which is a lot of fun. Uh, But we think one way to help connect the disconnected, this is a time of the year when people are really open to you know, tell me more about that God of yours. Because their culture says you got to go to church when? Christmas and Easter, right? So they're willing to engage, so let's engage them and have conversation. We have for you little invite cards that were out there this morning. They should hopefully still be out there now. And those invite cards are opportunities for you to invite people, maybe friends or family or waitresses that you meet when you're giving them a really, really big tip. You also invite them to join you for Christmas Eve. Um, And then you could even invite people to join, not on Christmas Eve, but for the 29th. Hey, take somebody out to breakfast or to brunch. Uh, Find a way to connect with somebody, all right? That way this Christmas season is all about relationships and people, not about stuff and things we have to do. So we had two questions that came in. The first one is, what is the true meaning of Christmas? It's a really loaded question, but I'll simplify it by saying this the true meaning of Christmas is a God who cares enough about you and I to not leave us in our brokenness, but to enter in, to be like us, to know our pain, that he could redeem our pain. That's what Christmas is all about. A God who would come into our mess when it's not okay and say, I will make it okay. Uh, second is a $20 buy in nickel and quarter poker game, anti-biblical. I think the question there is, is it okay to gamble? Uh, well, first, let me say this, if you have a problem where you gamble in such a way that you're risking your future financial uh, security or your family's safety, uh, no, don't do that. It's really bad. Uh, but if you and a handful of buddies want to like, get together and play a card game and to make it interesting, you want to put $20 down, there's nothing sinful about that. It's no different than going to the movies and spending $20 for tickets, right? It's a couple hours of entertainment. Now, that's Okay. So is it something that is a vice that is controlling you and going to lead you to something far worse? Probably avoid it. If it's just you and some friends getting together, I think that's totally fine, and maybe you'll come out winning your money back. Probably not. (laughs) Play poker with with me, yeah. I will will give you 20 bucks and save the time. (laughs) Uh, Every week we invite questions and we encourage questions, and if your question wasn't addressed today, please feel free to send it in later in the week. Uh, We'll answer it at any time later or address it later when we can. Um, Also, Emily and myself would gladly take you out for coffee or lunch or, if you're old enough and interested, a drink, and we could uh, talk about your questions in person because that's helpful too. So church, receive this blessing, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point Ministry, simply go to thepointnoxcom forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.